It's time for Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hartley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, designated driver and mouth runner. Yes, ready to deliver Doctor Who content and conversation once again on our free-speaking, big-thinking, eclectic and eccentric podcast. Type 40 is a show for everyone. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to those ongoing adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. We chat about it all on this show and all being well, there could even be a few laughs along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey together here with us on Type 40. And this time, yes, another guest or two. Can't wait to get started. It was a thrill to record. I know you're going to love it. But first of all, before we get into all of that, I'm delighted to welcome my playmate, my long, long-suffering playmate. Once again, she's back, the one, the only, Sarah Graham. Definitely long-suffering. <laughs> <laughs> it's I great can't. you'll get me into. <laughs> I know. And this time, we've sort of done some travelling of our own, haven't we? We've, we've travelled time zones once again in the old girl and connected with two other people connected with an exciting new project surrounding doctor who but before we get to that and to them let's jog people's memories a little i wanted to ask you sarah where were you in 1996. this might shock you i was still at school (laughs) what i was i was in my final year at junior school junior school Juniors, I moved up to um, secondary school September 96. Okay. And yeah, I was busy having my sleepovers and dancing to Take That and Boys Own. Oh, I see. All all that smash it stuff, yes. Good old Gina G. Yeah, Yeah, who are just a little bit. Well, I was going to ask you, was it Blur or Oasis? But it sounds like it could have been, was it Take That or Boys Own? them all I, I never really took a side i did i liked oasis and i did like blur so i can't, i was i was just a fence sitter during all that that <laughs> brit pop era um, but yes obviously that was all overshadowed by take that splitting up oh yes that happened in early 96 didn't it remember yeah. the phone lines they launched for all those poor girls who were all caught up and a few boys no doubt i was really into well george michael was my very favorite solo actor mm-hmm. i think he was making a big comeback around that time he hadn't recorded for years he yes. formed out with his record label and all sorts was going on he brought out a new album called older i love that I still love that one of my favorite albums uh, but yeah i'm also, I was also a really big fan a really big fan of mark morrison return of the mac that was a great track but yeah the- i like that one that was <laughs> both good yeah <laughs> Where is he now? What on earth happened to to Mark Morrison? But uh, as regards popular culture, it was quite an explosive time. There was lots going on at the cinema. I think the 80s had cast a long shadow, really. The 90s took a little longer to get going. But when the movies came, when the music came, it really did make a huge difference, shook everything up and and gave the decade a lot of character and a lot of colour and a lot of swagger. And, And yet for so long, the Doctor, as a cultural figure, was absent from it all. And it was heartbreaking, Sarah. Yeah, absence on screen, because obviously it was still very much in fans' hearts and there were still conventions going on and the meetups and thing. You know, fandom was keeping it together with the, the magazine. But yeah, but for all intents and purposes, there was no Doctor Who. Like, it, it was just something I'd heard of, it, you know, then like, 
know, you get them kind of programs. It'll be all right on the night and looking back yeah. on old TV and auntie's bloomers. Do you remember old, that? Oh, <laughs> and yeah, and just like so, I'm going to get a lot of reactions to old TV. That's not what I meant. Classic TV, classic I'll just, TV I'll, guy. I'll let that one pass. <laughs> Obviously, I knew of the Doctor, I knew the TARDIS. Daleks were still very much around, though, because there was a Kit Kat advert around the same kind of time. Daleks seem to just have a life on their own. You know, everybody knows what a Dalek is in Great Britain. Um, But yeah, obviously, I wasn't pining for it like poor Doctor Who fans were in the wilderness years. It it was like that. There were remnants of that 26-year run. How could they not be? That were still there. You said the Daleks did persist and the TARDIS. There were people that recognised those things. It was still kind of there, but it was was sort of of dwindling. And Mm -hmm. it was impossible for the likes of me and and millions of other people to, to let it go. But we do have to sort of move on with our lives really and i had the summer of my life in in 1996 it was a long and hot summer and y- yes so was she <laughs> but even better <laughs> but even better was the return the eventual return after such a long break of doctor who and the tv movie when that premiered i don't know if it was the talk of every playground but it was certainly the talk of every beer garden Yeah, I was into all the lad culture at the time, Sarah. (laughs) And this time on the show, we get to talk to one of the people who made that happen. And on the very eve of their return to the Hooniverse, the release of this brand new film, it's kind of about us all this time, rather than the Doctor. Matthew Jacobs was the the writer of the TV movie, and he's here along with his friend and colleague, Vanessa Yule. That's coming up in a couple of minutes. But in the meantime, if you'd like to do some real time traveling of your own, and I know you would, just before midnight, each and every edition of this show, past, present, and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. Well over 100 now reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs, and deep dives with all our regular panelists and some pretty awesome guests. We know there's something for every fan at type40.podbean.com. There'll be more about all of that later on, as well as a couple of minutes where we will make contact with the matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network to find out about all the other shows covering all the other franchises that are going on over there. That's all sorted. We've got to check the cubby hole above the there at turn the lock spice up our lives remember them (laughs) and connect now with with american anorak themselves that's vanessa and matt enjoy the show the year was 1996 and fans of that much missed old family favorite doctor who had kept the faith We'd waded through rumours and false starts, movies and and series pitches and all manner of other things for the best part of seven years. (laughs) Maybe somebody broke a mirror (laughs) in the TARDIS, who knows. But just when so many of us had started to think it would never happen, that police box, well, it did appear spinning out of development hell and onto our screens for one night only. Paul McGann was the Doctor, ably assisted by Daphne Ashbrook, and Yiji So there in a desperate race, quite literally, against the clock, up against his oldest and bestest enemy too, The Master. The film did fantastically well in Great Britain 
on BBC One, that May bank holiday. And uh, yeah, the, the VHS tapes, well, even they flew off the shelves. Sadly, though, that was that. And the American network, they, they didn't pick up the series and both fans and those plucky creatives who'd made it all happen against the odds in the first place were all left rather deflated. We kind of realised in time we'd got to move on. The Eighth Doctor's adventures, they would eventually continue in one dimension or another or two or three. But um, what of the others associated with Doctor Who the movie? Matthew Jacobs, he wrote the, uh, the final script for the film, working closely with executive producer Philip Siegel. And it was a story that would rock and shock the fan base several times over, shaking up the Time Lord's parentage, amongst other jaw-droppers. God, don't half miss the 90s. <laughs> for Matthew, of course, as a writer, director and actor, it was on to the next job. And as fans, we didn't know that much about him that IMDb ever told us, until quite recently. Now he's getting much more visible and about to premiere a brand new feature-length documentary film centering on his own very personal connection, not just to the Doctor, but to the whole Doctor Who universe, the Hooniverse that surrounds the show. And I'm delighted to welcome Matt and his colleague Vanessa Yule to Type 40 this time to tell us all about it. Hello, Hi. everybody. Hello. Hey there. Great to see you. Great to have you here. First of all, congratulations both on the imminent release of Doctor Who Am I. There's a genuine buzz around this project. I'm yeah. noticing the screenings popping up, Sarah, the selected cinemas, and, and a Blu-ray's just been added to it. It's all really, really promising to, to start to get the ball rolling. What I'm wondering, Matthew, is it's been 26 years since the TV movie premiere, and you, you've had this colourful and, and wide career just as much since as before, haven't you? So why now is this sort of unfinished business for you? Well, really, um, it, it's Vanessa as much as anything. I, Vanessa and I, Vanessa's co-director on the film um, and the editor. And uh, um, we'd been working on a couple of other movies together that I directed, which was Your Good Friend and Bar America. Um, and then the 50th came along around that time. And after the night of the doctor, I started getting invited to American conventions. And so I didn't really want to go. And then it was, it was Vanessa's idea that, well, there might be a documentary in this. So initially I thought it was just gonna be about the fans. We shot for a weekend at Gallifrey One. When we came back, we, we thought there's something deeper here. And we carried on and it's true, isn't it, Vanessa? You always knew that it was kind of gonna be about my my journey as much as any as anything else and that it was going to be a much more sort of personal film and it slowly evolved well that was like seven years ago so it's opened so for about two or three years we were going around conventions and in and out of fans homes and we and we, really? we basically built this wonderful collection of stuff that vanessa edited brilliantly and um, yeah and uh, and eventually um, Sci-Fi London kind of leapt on it. Um, Sci-Fi London Film Festival, they actually watched it through and they put it out um, on their fest at their festival. And we got the Audience Award there. And we're doing the thing that um, is almost mythic amongst um, independent filmmakers. It's a, sort of a thing of the past, but we're doing it. It's happening where, where a distributor, sales agent has picked us up from a festival. We're a tiny film. It's just the two of us. This is American Anorak. You're looking at it, Vanessa and I. <laughs> 
and there and now it's just it's amazing it really is amazing the the warm response not just to the tv movie but to our to our little documentary so it sounds like an acorn that you've both planted together vanessa you're you're a director uh, an editor and a producer and an actress yourself aren't you so how did you first meet matt well this was years ago when i was um working on my thesis documentary it's a short documentary but i was working on my thesis and and matt uh, was an instructor where I, or a professor where I was uh -huh. studying. So it was like way back in the day when I was still learning how to well, write a screenplay. And uh, but we hit it off and I worked with him on two of his other feature films um, as like an assistant director, co-producer, an actor in one of them. But we built our friendship over many years and it was um, Oh yeah, we've acted in some movies together, um, some other ones. Oh wow! With Bernard or Bernard Rose, um, but um, it really stemmed from our friendship, and it was over a cup of coffee. And he said he was being invited to these con Doctor Who conventions, and I was like, "Why?" Because I knew Doctor Who <laughs> from the '80s in the United States when it was on yes. PBS. Mm -hmm. People didn't know about this show at all, but I had fond memories of watching it with my dad. So I, my mind was blown. And then when Matthew said he wrote The Eighth Doctor, my head exploded, I think, over this <laughs> Wait, you wrote The Eighth Doctor? You're being invited to conventions. It was and scary. I, yeah, and so it was like, we have to do this. Because I, I, I mean, I love Matthew. He's hilarious. And I know he's like, he's a funny person. And to follow him on this journey would I it would 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 have many gems in it. The things you might get you into, I eh, Sarah. Well, that's it. Yeah, it just sounds like a buddy movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you had you seen the film before then? So you when Matt said, "Oh, I, I did this thing with the Eighth Doctor," you'd sort of worked out which one that would be. I, I figured it out. I didn't know. I had never heard of the the TV movie before. I think the first time I watched it, it had to be like on a YouTube or something because I just didn't, I had, couldn't get a hold of yeah. the DVD or maybe Matt, you gave it to me. I can't remember, but I thought it was fantastic. I was like, why was this such a big deal? Uh, I thought it was Paul. Why was it such a hoo-ha, Vanessa? A hoo-ha. <laughs> it was a hoo-ha? Yeah. A hoo-ha. That's <laughs> yeah. really there was a it hullabaloo. was a hoo-ha. I was laughing. I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it was a lot of fun. So I, I started off loving the TV movie. <laughs> What's not to love, Vanessa? We love it here too. Oh, I couldn't. good. But the, seriously, though, there is so much Doctor Who, isn't there? And it seemed you. It's hard for people to know who came after who and what what fits after what. And then there's this whole world, this whole universe around it, and, and colourful characters on screen. And off screen, Matt. <laughs> you know? and, but it does seem to attract the kind of creative and eccentric people. But again, it, as regards to the characters on the screen, it's also stories too. So you honed in on the fact that, that um, when you assembled this footage, that there was actually a story to tell, perhaps Matt's own story that you could, you could work on together and turn it into a feature length documentary. Well, yes, initially, I mean, Matthew's reluctance is very real. He was didn't want to go back into this world. Um, and there was a big focus on just you know a genuine interest in the fans and who are the American yep. fans. Um, and it, it took a little while to just also a bit of convincing and mostly in the editing room to be like, Matt, your story is here. We need to this is this is the thing that's going to 
bring everyone's individual stories together. So we're it's a genuinely following him as he jumps into these waters. Um, he thinks he's going to be <laughs> jumping into like very, very um, aggressive waters with sharks and everything. But it's like, no, doc the Doctor Who community, they're wonderful, wonderful people. So, yeah, it's like it's an interesting. It's interesting when we cut it together because we realized really Doctor Who fans are pretty it's a lovely sort of close-knit community of family um and uh and really the drama did lie in the fact that i was um uh, you know res I, I i i'm if you like i'm the villain of the piece i'm the person who's basically saying you know no i'm not a fan i i want to be the one who's worshipped i want to be the one who's adored um uh, you know and uh, so 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 you think what a wanker um, <laughs> as, as I'm, as I'm with all these lovely people, and I'm really not, I'm really not a nice person. And then, and then you, and then it's sort of slowly dawns that you realise that, I, and you know, by the end of the story, I, I basically become a fan, um, and I join that community, and and it's and it's really lovely, and it's not really about the show, you know, it's about, it's a, it's a, it's about this community and um and how and how they sort of help each other and so that was a very touching thing um to happen and that's what's the main arc of the story and obviously how that happens you have to go and see the movie to see how that happens and you have to see you know and certainly my dad who played doc holiday feeds into that it's something where we have people laughing and by the end they're crying or close to tears and not knowing why. <laughs> I mean, it, it, Matthew goes to some very, very personal places. Fandom can be a very personal place of like, why do you attach yourself yeah. to Doctor Who? Or why do you attach yourself to Marvel Comics? It's mm -hmm. fill that in with something else and it's a very personal experience. And we meet some fans who really delve into that um, and how it helps them overcome um, grief or whatever else. And Matthew goes to a place that we were very surprised by. And that's kind of that sort of culmination of understanding like where that fan, how he is a fan. It, and we, it, we talked to, and we talked to Paul McGann quite a bit. And Paul is very wise. He's like a sort of Yoda sort of saying saying yeah, these pearls of this is this is why he's made such a great doctor because he's got those qualities he really does you're right, right. you're dead right you, you, i mean this is era i mean he's he's very charismatic um and uh, and he's charismatic in the documentary as well um they basically they worship him in, in america there's something sage-like about Paul. I think it's the mixture of the Liverpoolian, because you can still get, you can still pick up those tones in his accent, but there's something else there too. I, yeah, I could listen to his voice forever, and if he's got something to say about this topic in this film, I can't wait to hear what you've what you've brought out in Paul and all the other guests, because virtually everybody is in this film has sort of come oh, yeah. to the party. Philip Seal, Daphne Ashbrook, she's the person who really triggered triggered the thing because when I was going to go to Gallifrey. 
uh, the first thing I asked Sean Lyon, who's the showrunner at Gallifrey, was, can you put me in touch with, with Daphne Ashbrook? And I called her, and she was in New York. At some, her, her daughter was about to audition for something. And she, and she got on the phone, and she was just, like, super enthusiastic. She said, oh, I'm going to introduce you to all the American Uber fans. We'll, we'll you know, you'll meet them all. And so she, she really guided us to a lot of these characters um, who we talked to. Um, and of course, what happens is as soon as they announced that, um, you know, they, as they announced the guests going up on the stage, she would holler, you know, Whoa! <laughs> Super I, I've and, never met Daphne, but I've met plenty of people who have, and they've told me about her and, and, uh, and she, that she's yeah. quite a lively character. But right. yeah, I'd, I'd love to meet Daphne Ashbrook. She, she she's seems just, charming. She's wonderful. A ball of energy. So mm. much fun. Isn't it curious, Vanessa, how that family feel that you spoke about seems to get passed down through the decades too, through different generations, not just of the fandom, but of the cast as well. There's something about this that bonds people together. And you mentioned earlier on about, obviously, this is Matt's personal personal story. And we talk about quite a lot, don't we, Sarah, how our connections to the show are, are very, very personal. There's a lot that's the same. Like we all like cool spaceships and, and snap, yeah. snappy dialogue and things yeah. like that and cool haircuts and all. Yeah, everybody loves all that stuff. But the, I think the fundamental thing that sort of jacks you into this this universe and that and particularly that central character can be really quite personal. And sometimes, for a long time, I include myself in this. I think I assume that my view of it and that my connection with it and with and with the Doctor was a universal one. Right. But it, it isn't. It's particular to me. And, mm-hmm. and I think that, I think this is part of, of reaching adulthood too, where your, your powers of empathy, your, your range of empathy starts to grow. And you think, oh, that person, initially I think you can get quite cross with people who, who've got a different connection to yours. You think, no, 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 that's wrong. But then after a while you think, oh, no, that's not wrong. That's really interesting. Tell, tell me more. Mm-hmm. And I get the impression that's another thing that you're doing in the film as well. Right. Oh, yes, certainly. I mean, even when we started out and we we're still fish- figuring out what is our story, that, that was one of the questions of that we would ask people. It's like, how are you the doctor? It was one of our questions, right? Matt? Yeah. Who is the doctor in you? Yes. There you go. <laughs> Who is the doctor in you? And we got a different a- answer from everyone because everyone sort of attaches a different qualities of what it is to be the doctor. And one person in the film, um, Malachi Keller, who, who works in films, he, he builds sets and stuff. He, his was, you know, at the end of the day, he wanted to be the person who can, you know, laugh and you get people together. He, you know, he listed all these qualities of the doctor that he loved. And at the end of the day, he's like, it's, I just want to be accepted, like how, he's, how he can ex- accept people. I just want to mm-hmm. be accepted. And it's like, oh, wow. And then everybody had all these beautiful kind of answers. And <laughs> no, none of them were the same. None of them were the same. I had wondered about that, Matt, because that title, Doctor Who Am I, obviously it chimes with a certain line of dialogue in your script. But also it's, it makes it seem like it could be autobiographical. But it sounds like it's something that, that is a lot more universal than that, a lot more relatable. Yeah. It was the pitch, basically, that got me the TV movie. Um, uh, you know, they'd been trying lots of different writers and they'd been trying lots of different approaches. Um, uh, but when, um, when I was approached by Trevor Walton at Fox and, and uh, the people at Universal and, and Philip, you know, I was overjoyed. I thought, this is great. But then the, the angle that 
is pretty conventional for a regeneration is the doctor has to find his feet um and so it made sense that if if the seventh doctor you know got killed and then they they botched the surgery um and and the trans you know the um regeneration process was messed with it's made sense that the doctor would have amnesia um and so and that's perfect for introducing a character um because you have to rebuild the identity and so doctor who am i was very much the shape of the show i.e he has to remember who he is in order to yeah. save the universe or to save the world and to save humans that he loves so much because he is half human and uh, it was very much a sort of a case of reinventing the the doctor a little bit for for america and of course Ameri you know americans don't quite know how to it was, and 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 british fans just you saying they they're completely in love with the doctor so no matter what i did i was going to face criticism and i think that happens now as well um but certainly it's, oh, yeah. certainly it's happening yeah. to chibnall and it's tough I should, we should all be so lucky but it's tough to run a show um or to sort of put together a show that has as much history as doctor as the doctor has and you're you're a part of it Matt. you're there dead center in the 90s at a very exciting time for, for the show, you know, I, I was there. I won't lie to you, I didn't queue up at midnight to buy the VHS. <laughs> I've oh, got good. work the next day. But... <laughs> you had a life. But, but I was there at lunch <laughs> at lunchtime. I was right there picking up the tape. You know, I've got this. I mean, I've got your book here, the script book there. Yeah. This has been in my collection for... I love the BBC. The script ideas. of the film. It is. <laughs> Your name no. on the spine there, mate. Your name yeah. on the spine. <laughs> name on the spine. It's awesome, but... We'll, but... But it's like they they couldn't publish it as a screenplay because of rights things, so they had to call it the script of the film. I don't yeah. think any, any script's been published like that before, but it is good. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> they like to make sure, Vanessa, that people know exactly what they're buying, so they don't write to them afterwards and say, "I thought this was the novel. I thought this was this. I thought this was that." But there's a great introduction in this by Philip Siegel, funnily yeah. enough, and I, I've got it here. I've got it here for you, and he says sort of similar things to the things that you said. And Philip says, uh, we face the difficult task of finding the right writer to realise a script that would fit the needs of the two networks, the Fox and BBC networks, obviously. Our search ended with Matthew Jacobs, whose close association with the Doctor was unknown to me until we met in my office. He says, a Matthew's script needed to tell a story that was personal to the Doctor, dealing with his regeneration, putting him back on Earth important because after all these rules would ultimately help us define the doctor's world to the uninitiated in a much more understandable way we arrived at a story that everyone signed off Matthew went away to write it so how long did it take you to write the screenplay Matt it really didn't take that long um I think it must have taken me about six weeks I or maybe eight weeks to write the first draft because there was a lot of back and forth thing on the storyline and in his book regenerations um philip um and um gary did a very good sort of making of book called regenerations um they've they actually published all the different outlines that i did i did those quite quickly in a week or two and and they and they very quickly you know sort of put the thumbs up and then and then if i remember rightly it was like six weeks of writing which was just i really enjoyed writing it um because of course the doctor hadn't been around and, and i had all this history with my dad and so anyway i delivered it quite quickly and then it was very quick 
um, in as much as the, I think the BBC at that point read it and they went, car chases. Oh my God, <laughs> a motorcycle chase. Oh, good grief. I thought it was oh, great. No. It was fun. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and at that point, but we, we want to do it. Um, but really, um, and, uh, and so, so at that point, because it looked like it was going to happen, and my deal was if it happened, I became a co-producer. Suddenly I was given wings and I flew over to London to sit down with the executives there. And, uh, and they were sitting there going, oh, no, this dialogue, we don't like it. You know, it's all too, all too florid. Because this is the mid-90s where everybody mm -hmm. spoke like, yes, no, no, yes. Or quite clipped, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> Very X-Files. Very abrupt. And there were scenes with people going... Steams were lit by a, you know, a cigarette lighter or something like that, <laughs> and 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 the style I wanted was more like a 1940s movie with, you know, you know, ripping fast dialogue that Paul could deliver. You know, Paul could deliver mm -hmm. a, a a speech that is absolute gobbledygook, and you believe it. Um, so so we it, it, we were all on slightly different pages. So then what started was this back and forth on the script which carried on for another couple of months, but very quickly it got greenlit, mainly because of the energy of, um, of Philip Siegel. And, um, and certainly, you know, my enthusiasm was, was boundless. Um, and, uh, um, and, and Trevor Walton, who's the sort of unsung hero here, because Universal didn't really know what they had. Um, and but Trevor, who's British and who we've met, haven't we, Vanessa? Yeah. He's we just this, catch up with him. <laughs> yeah, he's just this. He's just this incredibly charming guy. And I was in the National Youth Theatre with him, and and so we were just like good friends. So so it felt like a whole bunch of Brits there, yeah. trying to you know trying to trying to do their best to bring the Doctor back. And I think a lot of it has has survived in its own way. I'd say so. And this was, yeah, you'd yeah. been writing, you'd been working in entertainment for quite a long time, hadn't you, at, at that point? You know, we, uh, the film Paper House, young, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles 2, you worked on that, didn't you? Yeah. So this wasn't, wasn't your first gig. Oh, you were... No, no. I was established, fairly well established. I, at that time, I was writing what became The Emperor's New Groove. Um, and and a whole bunch of you know and Lassie had just come out on on um, on Paramount. You know it was it was I, at that time I was churning out franchise stuff, and then after two thousand and eight, I switched gear totally. You know, I mean, I did do one other big animation thing in 2014, but I switched gear into making films, into not waiting for permission to make films, basically. And that's it was around that time, 2009, when I met Vanessa, and and you know, and both Bernard Rose and I just make films. We, you know, and we, it, we we'll green light them even if we have no money. We'll just go out and start shooting because that's the thing. You can do it. You can do that now. The, the, the having technology. the motivation, having the faith in one another, having a yeah. sounding board that you can trust. Clearly, you, you, you know, Vanessa and Matt, you clearly trust one another yes. implicitly with, with these with these projects. It's finding that kind of relationship where you where you know you can sort of just see if we can. Is it? We'll mm -hmm. see. We'll see what happens. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Guillermo del Toro calls it his film family. If you find your film family, find your people who you love to work with. It's 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 just a tremendous thing, and, and it makes life. Really, really enjoyable. Also, hair raising because if you do something that's not <laughs> commercial, then you yeah. will have worked for years and you probably see no money. Um, but, but it's but you you so you have to find a. It, it's 
it's a blessing and a curse that the, the technology is democratized to such mm -hmm. a massive extent these days because it means that anybody can go out and make a film with their girlfriend or their friends um, and and the, that's the result we've got like 5,000 movies floating around at any one moment <laughs> and only a few of them actually get filtered through and people can go see them I've recently interviewed a man who spent 10 years making a film that's uh, now up on Amazon. And, you know, it's, it's out, it's finished, it's released. But he was telling me about the whole sort of the 10 year process behind making this, this uh, kind of a romantic comedy, a selection of romantic comedies that were all interconnected. He filmed it over that entire 10 year period. He was forever putting it on the back burner and then a little bit more than gradually moving it to the point where, it, where people could see it. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've heard similar takes, similar takes on that before. But I was looking at the promotional material for Doctor Who Am I? Matt, and I was drawn to this bit of publicity bump, and I did wonder, you know, how much how much truth is 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 there in this? Is this genuinely how you felt? Because it says an infamous Doctor Who screenwriter is reluctantly dragged back into the American Hooniverse in this funny and moving documentary about finding family in the unlikeliest of places. Infamous? Is he infamous, Vanessa? Is that <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, to some people uh, he is. It's also eye-catching. Um, it it took us forever to write that log. It's very arresting. <laughs> forever. Um, yes, you know, he. some people you'll meet some of the fans yeah. in the documentary who are, um, you know, confrontational. Really? And voice wow. their strong opinions. They do, yeah. Uh, which is not to say that everyone thinks that way, yeah. but um, for the sake of, uh, for, it's true, infamous to some people. I was wondering if it was an exaggeration for comic effect. I think, you know, to, because obviously. Oh, there's that too. There's yeah, that too. That's, that's what I do. You want to know that <laughs> infamous. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I have to say, once I read that, I was kind of scratching my head a little bit and I was talking to Dan. I, I really didn't think that you were infamous uh, it was news to me that you were so unpopular like, have, we, have we watched the same film um, I, was, I was quite young in 1996 I was only 12 and I can remember being sat and watching it you know, on the BBC and that was the first time that I'd been introduced to Doc 2 because I'd missed that you know the 80s right. I wasn't quite old enough so you were my first introduction to Doctor Who, and you know, you were it worked. You know, you, you made it more accessible, and then obviously it disappeared. So I thought, oh, this is brilliant, you know. And then I found out later, for me to know the fans, like, wow, didn't realise, you know, there was this kind of like backlash in certain areas. It was a bit of a backlash, mm. I, but I think the same has applied to most of the Doctor Who writers mm. at one point or another in their journey and there's a you know there's a fan um who just openly says you know with all due respect you know there are people who hate russell T. Well, yeah, RTD, hate moffat with all due respect your work that's his starting thing i mean it's the one thing people feel they can do um because because they adopt the show they feel like they could write they could do this job they could write it they really do and and i think that's great um, uh, um, but sometimes it means that no matter what you do, 
um, in terms of making making a show. Um, people are going. There are going to be critics out there, and I've grown to. I've got a thicker skin about it these days, you know. But I think at that time, um, I was I was so excited for it, and then when the when the press of the day, when the you know when the sort of the the British newspapers at that time, they they didn't receive it well, and then slowly as online built, um, the, you know, it would it would get frowned upon. Um, so, and we, you know, we found all this stuff, you know, where people were saying it's the worst film ever. So, so in a way it's, it, you know, it was, that's about why I didn't really want to go into back into that world. I mean, why go somewhere where you basically feel you're not welcome? Um, you wouldn't want to do that, but we found masses of people like yourself, um, who actually really you know that it's not it's not important to them um what you know exactly what it was written like it was the fact that they just loved the doctor they liked paul mcgann do you know what i mean and so so that was that was the overriding thing so basically you know i needed to get real well i think your voice does does ring in i don't know how many rewrites you you did on the on the script but there is a definite panache around the whole thing and, the, and the dialogue is so punchy. It has a real spirit of adventure about it. And I think that there's a temptation, particularly when something's been away for so long, Vanessa, when it's a big IP like that now, as we call them IPs, there's a temptation that when it does sort of blaze back for people to want everything all at once. Yeah. And, and people don't accept Sarah. They, they forget more so that this was meant to be the beginning of something. And so why start with absolutely every dial cranked up to 11? You, then you've got nowhere to go. So I, I do really rate this as, as a piece of entertainment, a great 90 minutes-ish in, in front of the telly, in front of the screen of any size. And yeah, and a really important piece of, of Doctor Who history. I can only imagine how it must feel when you see, for example, there are screenings. People have screenings now on projectors, don't they? This yeah. is, yeah. This oh, is Paul a common... Booth. We, we know Paul Booth. We interviewed him. <laughs> That's right, Paul. Paul, he lectures in in Doctor Who. He's a Doctor Who scholar. It's part, and he teaches. He teaches at a university. Is it St Paul University, Chicago? Um, and DePaul, yeah. DePaul, yeah. And and he's written a book on it, a very good book. And and he's he's he really is. He, I mean, he he teaches about popular entertainment basically, but. The, the the TV movie is one of his favorites. And every year when mm. new students join his class, they do a screening of the TV movie. Wonderful. But when you I see things join. like that... I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> She's off. She's gone. She's on the plane. You go, go, and get your, go and get your master's in yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah, you should do a live stream. That would be interesting. <laughs> Paul, come and speak to us, mate. Um, yes, so for every screen there is like this, though, where people may, may put up a, a sheet in their back garden and get their friends around or whatever else. So there's that going on, which, which is lovely. But you've also got uh, things like the BFI did the big screening for the, for the 50th yeah. anniversary, and there was Paul and Daphne were there and Jeff Sachs was there. So to see both reactions, Matt, all this time on, that must be vindication too. Or is it slightly distancing, slightly an out-of-body experience? Well, um, yes, it's, I mean, yes, absolutely. But as you'll see, um, the, the 
what it does more than anything um, is when they then want to put me on a panel about the gunfighters, which is the 1966 <laughs> um, TV show that my dad played Doc Holliday in. And, and yes. um, I'm suddenly thrown right back to when I was like 10 years old. Um, mm. and, and he took me um, with him on my 10th birthday as a birthday treat to, um, to, the, to watch them filming the show. And it was my first, so suddenly it was my first introduction, an introduction to what he was about. And then that brings up all sorts of stuff and how one changes in one's life. And, uh, and you, you know, and, and slowly I sort of start to realize you know, I am a fan, um, and uh, and uh, that that kind of you get that feeling. I think it's kind of a, a great feeling when you realise that a piece of entertainment or a uh, uh, what is what is it? I think it was Noel Coward or somebody um, said. You know, the the potency of a beautiful song. Um, how how sometimes. A, a popular song can take you right back somewhere and and remind you of all those feelings um and those feelings can be both sad but they but quite often they can be um cathartic um and funny and happy um and so you want to revisit them it's like it's like that tv show well and that's really what doctor who is very much about people have their doctor and they go and they visit it and like you're saying they put it up on their on the on a sheet in the in the backyard, and they treasure these stories. And I think the same applies for Star Trek. I think it applies for Elvis. I think Star it applies Wars. Star Wars. Definitely Star Wars. Yeah, you know, and and Indiana Jones. You know, so so it's it's so for me it was um, yes, there was a definite frisson and a definite kind of feeling of um, validation um, that this journey has given me personally. But also, I've learned a lot, and I've learned a lot from working, from co-directing, or co-directing, you know, with with Vanessa. For me, has been a has, has been a major move forward. You know, as a as a director, one normally work or I work very instinctively, and as a writer, I work work very instinctively. I let my instincts guide me, and I rely on that process to move you forward but when you're co-directing or you're co-writing and i don't quite a bit of co-writing i had to bring all the skills of co-writing to co-directing where you have to respect the other the other um creator's instincts um and so that's been the fascinating process and that's i that's a very big thing for me that I've taken away from this project. And I suppose between you, you had to manage your own time, Vanessa, and resources, and perhaps in some instances was Matt too close to this, and, and it was important that you were a sounding board oh, yeah. for some of that. Oh, yeah. How was that, bal that balance? I mean, at some point, well, Matt's in it, so yes, there was, there was that, but also at times when you're an editor, you're so close in it, you also need another perspective. So mm -hmm. it was... Like Matt said before, we are American Anorak. There is no other team. We've brought some people in. We brought in like Mark Leggett, who did an amazing yeah. score. Beautiful Dave Eichhorn did amazing work with the sound. Dylan Glockler, who was the camera or DP. So, I mean, we brought in people, but it was just us. Um, yeah. And, 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 just, and Colin Vaines. Oh, yes. And yes, that. Colin Vaines, of course. He's our executive producer. And he's kind of he took us under his wing and it has helped us, you know, 
tremendously as a sounding board, even some edit cuts and stuff like that. But he is really great. Um, and but I mean, at the end of this whole process, we're still Matthew and I are still friends. <laughs> well, that's uh, like I, the biggest accomplishment yeah. <laughs> great I should go well I, I think that to uh, to talk about to talk about this and to not and to not show people is probably a little cruel after we've whetted their appetite so so how about we take a look at the trailer to uh, Doctor Who Am I what do you think everybody what do you think why not yeah, yeah go for it. Go, here we are I feel like I don't want to regard myself as a fan I'd rather be the one who's worshipped worshipped or blamed I think at the end of the day, probably both. I wrote The Eighth Doctor, played by Paul McGann. It's a bit of a responsibility, I think, that we have. You know, stories are powerful. Mythologies are powerful. My job was to write a TV movie pilot with the hope that it would spawn a new American Doctor Who series. The American fans, they are the diehards. There's a whole community of people that do this. They love this thing that society says you shouldn't love as much as you do. I didn't go to conventions for a very good reason. Be nice. I thought the fans would kill me. The doctor being half human. Please punch me in the face. People universally went after the script. I got physically assaulted by someone who was so angry at the idea that the doctor would kiss. No sex, please. He's Matthew Jacobs. My father was an actor. He was in an early Doctor Who adventure called The Gunfighters. It'd be fantastic on The Gunfighters, because you're going to go back to your boyhood memories. I really don't want to do The Gunfighters panel. It's freaking me out. I was pouring myself into that character. I got so close. And then I got left behind. Maybe I'm regenerating. Doctor Who has helped a lot of people find who they are. This is a giant family, and it's full of love. Woo! The sense of community and companionship. That's what I enjoy the most about it. You go for the fans. You're a part of this now. I think in the end of the day, I'm a bigger fan than I knew. At some point or other in our lives, we all ask the same question. Who am I? Ooh, I, I got a little bit of a, a shiver then when he, <laughs> when he said that, Sarah. I don't mind telling you. And I do like it. God, that was so moving. I could feel myself filling up. Oh, the family oh, and the fan. God, this is the best fandom. No offense to Star Wars or Star Trek, but <laughs> it's delightful, and that trailer really—I think it really frames it nicely, Vanessa. I mean, particularly that bit where you say, where you're going up the stairs, and you say to Matt, "Be nice." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of that. No wonder people didn't like you in the playground. I remember we were driving to that interview. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we don't want to. We wouldn't dare trying to spoil this film, particularly when you've been working on it for so, so long. Just trying to whet everybody's appetites, really. Right. It seems very much a character piece. With you at the dead centre of it there, Matt, you know, you're clearly very... He's got his head in his hands. <laughs> 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 but it does seem you are laid pretty much bare. We get a hint there, I think, of the story and the journey that you're going to travel. But it does seem to be that you either jump into these things wholeheartedly or, or is it Vanessa shoving you I'm not entirely sure maybe it's a bit of both 
But I love what I what I'm seeing and hearing so far. It does look like your game for game for pretty much anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a guy, a lovely guy, Stefan Fries, and his his wife Heather, and their little baby. They had a little baby Piper, and we went to visit them. That was the place where where Vanessa was saying, "Be nice." Yes. And I could, of course could not be nice. I got up there. And they completely, the whole of their place was was basically all Doctor Who. And they had this newborn yeah. baby who's dressed as a TARDIS. Um, oh. And, yeah, she'd just been to Comic-Con. It was, it was beautiful. And you, we've got, obviously, we've gotten to know these families. They've been through hard times since. And God bless, um, you know, Heather. Um, she passed uh, passed away a couple of years ago. They're coming. We've got the film is premiering at Newport Beach Film Festival um, end of next week, which is exciting. And I'm hoping Stefan and I'm hoping a lot of the fans um, actually come along um, because they, they're very much part of this story. It's really and great. also in Portland. And in Portland. Also, and Portland. Yeah. We have two screenings um, in the U.S., the Newport Beach Film Festival, which is on Friday, and then Sunday, we're we're going to be up in Portland for uh, the Portland Film Festival. They're screening it there too. Because they do, they turn out wherever Doctor Who is talked about and, and screened. It does bring us out of the woodwork. And I did <laughs> notice with every because I've been following this project for quite a long time, Vanessa. I was aware that you were making something. I wasn't sure when we were going to get to see it or how. And I've seen various different versions of posters over the years. You think, oh, wasn't Matthew Jacobs working on that document? And then it turns up again. Then you become aware, that, oh, yes, this is going to happen. We are going to see this. And so to finally see these screenings listed and the posters appear, I notice as well those little sort of emblems you get on the bottom of the posters that say, you know, it's been recognized by this film festival and that film festival. You know, that's yeah. a, a nice sight. I mean, it, obviously... I would have gone to see it anyway. I would have been totally down for this anyway. But the fact that this is reaching the people who, who you would expect, such as myself, is one thing, but yeah. that greater recognition does point at something that, that is connecting with people on maybe levels that you, you may have hoped but couldn't have anticipated when you're putting it together. I think we just hoped. The whole film festival process can be disheartening to say the least so there was a period of i just stopped applying to festivals because we were just getting rejections my hometown people or whatever i was just like this isn't going to happen but then in the same week um louis savvy from london sci-fi we got an acceptance letter we were like oh my gosh this is amazing and then i think melbourne came later that week and it was just this dose of validation because we've been on yeah. this journey for so long we're like nobody's oh, gonna see it but then we got into two festivals and really it was london sci-fi and louis savvy who watched it who said he's like i'm not a doctor who fan but i love this documentary and just gave us the time and sort of that was our platform to really then we had, we had a coverage in the guardian and that's how we got kaleidoscope behind us yeah. it was, they've been great They've been great. They're, dis they're distributing the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In the UK, and they're a world sales agent, yes. So how does it feel, Vanessa, now you're so close to, to the general public being able to see this, to, to, uh, to go to the screenings and to, and to pre-order the, the DVD, the Blu-ray? Because the Blu-ray is quite a recent thing, wasn't it? That wasn't originally listed. But I don't know whether it's demand. Is it due to popular demand? People have been asking, what can we have this on Blu-ray? And suddenly a Blu-ray appears. 
You know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I don't think we know the mechanics of it. Kaleidoscope work in like God. They work in mysterious <laughs> ways. Um, so so, and as a filmmaker, you soon learn. You soon learn. You, you know, oh, oh, that's happening. That's interesting. But they have a tremendous wisdom um, because they're there is a relatively small company, but they make these great documentaries and slightly fringier um, fiction films. And they have, you know, and they, they own the icon catalog. Spencer Pollard, who's came in behind it, he just watched it because somebody had seen it at, at, at Sci-Fi London. And he realized, yes, there's definitely a market for this because it goes beyond just being about the show there's a story there um that's that's sort of a separate thing um if we'd made it at the bbc it would be about the show and it would just be a making of kind of documentary so he saw beyond that and he's put it out on blu-ray i think because that's where they make the most money obviously um and it's a very reasonable price <laughs> um and so and so we're very pleased because i think that's that's the thing about doctor who fans is they really appreciate actually holding on to physical media um and so the the, the blu-ray will be fun we're just completing all the assets for it at the moment i'm hoping they ask us to do a commentary or something like that the way i look at it vanessa if, if i can't dust it i haven't had it i don't own it on the shelves if i can't dust it i love, I I love that fantastic <laughs> dan I am really excited about this. You know, Sarah and I, we were, we were talking a little bit about about uh, the fan experience. In fact, that's what we talk about a lot, isn't it, Sarah, on this show, the various things that we get up to. We go to conventions, we go to signings, we go to uh, what they used to call sort of comic book marts and pick through other people's junk and all that kind of thing. But we, we do it all together. And we, we get on, on these shows and on Zoom calls about the things that we love. And that is the, the world within a world. It looks to me to be a really accurate representation of that. Thank you. And, okay. And that, that's sort of been attempted before, but I think there's never been anybody who's been so so game, Matt, to <laughs> to be to be so exposed and to and to lead it and to be out there putting his his name to it. The spirit in which the trailer is pitching the story. It, it's irresistible almost. And I it's think this yeah, is gonna do yeah. really well. The right film at the right time. Thank you so much. I mean I think the aim, isn't it? Vanessa, you know, there aren't enough feel-good movies yeah. around. I get very inspired when I see a feel-good movie, especially if it's one that people can identify with, which I think um, this documentary is one. You know, it's not like, it's not about a dying fish or, or, <laughs> you know, or running a hospital or anything really worthy and serious like that. It's, a, you know, it's about, um, it's about what it's like to enjoy TV shows stuff that we all do you know i think it's more than that i think it transcends that because it is just at the end of the day story of humans all getting together in this like that's right so cool i mean fandom you know the conventions it has become its own thing over time and did you know at the end of the day it's it's your journey it's vanessa's journey it's just a human interest story and, and you know they're the most accessible ones they're the most relatable ones and you're right everybody loves a feel-good human story so i think that's why it'll, it won't just be for the fans it'll be for anybody who's interested in them kind of stories that, yes thank you i mean that was kind of our hope is that this is 
this is for the fans. Uh, obviously, mm -hmm. if you're a fan of Doctor Who, you'll latch onto it. You know who Matthew is, or mm -hmm. you'll learn who Matthew is. The human story is there that anyone can track it. So someone who mm -hmm. knows nothing about Doctor Who, we kind of give the background up front so they know enough yeah. to like still follow <laughs> the story. My cousin who knows nothing about Doctor Who, she watched it and, you know, critic i was like kind of scared but she <laughs> she she loved it she's like matthew i need to meet matthew i want to give matthew a hug by the end of it so <laughs> matthew still has to get a hug from my cousin shirley <laughs> so Apart from uh soliciting hugs from from everybody out there what what are your hopes for the film matt what sort of imp impact do you want it to have bring people together or maybe to stimulate other people to tell their stories where do you see this going that's a really good question. It's like we're, we're so involved in, in the business of getting it out there that I haven't really thought long term. Yeah. Um, I, it sounds like I, it's been I'm, intense. Yeah, so it's it's been it's been intense the past few weeks. I think we're both sort of, you know, it's like when they put the film through QC, you know, oh, there's a pixel there that's out of place, <laughs> and, you know, and oh my gosh, this and that. There's go, a what? lip smack. Uh, what? Wait, I can't even hear that. <laughs> so you, got, you don't get to think about what the overriding effect. Uh, I hope it becomes, you know, part of a trend. When at the Melbourne Film Festival, they, they, they reached out to us. They said, listen, we really love the movie. We wanted to give it a prize, but there isn't really a category. Um, that covers this kind of movie. Now, these kind of movies are actually being made quite a bit. So there'll be a wonderful film about Dan Day-Lewis. There'll be there's that great film about Val Kilmer, things like that. But our movie is not really about, I mean, I'm not a star and I have no am ambitions to really be a star. But this film is a sort In of a little trailer, bit In that trailer, you said you wanted to be adored, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I need to call that out. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> you want to be a star. From being adored and being a star. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, and of course. But you're, but yeah, you're right. I feel like the um, there's a whole little genre of these movies, and I'm hoping that we lead the pack in some way um, of sort of, honest to goodness, kind of roots movies that are about media and how it works um, because it's such a massively important part of our culture mm -hmm. um, how television works how films work and those things that the more understanding people have of the culture that they participate in the less likely it is that they're going to be swayed by propaganda which is of course one of the big fears that that that, that that people face so having a real understanding of how you know mass media works is something that i hope will benefit anyone everyone and and actually is you know as that's the most serious part of the film is sort of under you know and analyzing that um so for my hopes for the future is that maybe maybe we've started a ball rolling here um of of people making you know analytical films about the way in which their culture works god that sounded heavy. i know i was like wow that's really deep matt yes yeah, so the first thing is i guess it's true have a good We're just time just trying to get this documentary delivered and out there and it's been few months now i feel like since june july where it's just been non-stop so just getting the movie out um <laughs> would be great this is the week but other than that i think for me it's just uh, the spirit of independent filmmaking because this yeah. is 
an independent movie. It's not like the movies that say, oh, we're independent, but they have hundreds of thousands of dollars or, mm -hmm. you know, producers and this and that or, you know, anything at Sundance already has like, you know, millions of dollars or something. So it's just shining a light on indie film, truly indie film and uh, the journey that we've had just to this seven, seven plus years just to get it out there. I mean, it was really, <laughs> Really hard. She it's says really it's gritted to seven years of my life. Matthew <laughs> Jacobs. No, you're not at the finishing line. It's close. It's close. But like we just need an email. It's that close, is it? Well, I was thinking, you know, because obviously you've got this this relationship between you clearly have worked well together closely on this over a long period of time. Could there be further documentaries? Not necessarily about Doctor Who, but could you be working together again on something else? You must have other projects that you're thinking about. Who knows? I think right now it's like the goal is to finish and move on to something else for sure. Um, we're probably, you know, we, yeah, there's no reason why we, we couldn't come back together and make something else in the future. Um, but but I think we're both following our own paths. I've got stuff in development. Vanessa has stuff in development. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully this will help. Um, you know, get those projects um, to a place where where people, are, you know, want want to invest in them before they're finished. You know, which is yeah. which which would be nice. You know, Vanessa's a brilliant documentarian. You know, a good filmmaker generally. And I'm working away on a TV show at the moment. That we'll announce that later. It seems clear to me that there's a lot of deep respect between the two of you and fondness. Yeah. And the yeah. its creativity that has uh, resulted in this film, I can't, I can't wait to see it. As you Thank said, you so much. <laughs> well, it's uh, genuinely. It is genuinely, uh, but... yeah. And I've just found out that it's showing at my local cinema, so I'm really excited. Oh, I will be seeing it on the screen. <laughs> oh, it's amazing! Amazing. In Sheffield. Yeah, in Sheffield. Yeah, <laughs> I was really thinking it was just going to be like the big cities, like London, and it's in my little corner. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, uh, Doctor Who, the movie, the original TV movie from 1996, that's still available on DVD and Blu-ray. It's streaming here, there, and everywhere. That's fairly easy to get your eyes on if you haven't seen it. I can't believe anybody out there hasn't seen it, but it is freely available. Doctor Who Am I from Kaleidoscope Entertainment, directed by Vanessa Yule and Matt Jacobs here, is screening in those selected UK cinemas from Thursday the 27th of October, Sarah and will be available on Blu-ray, DVD, and as a digital download from the 28th of November. And the little blurb says it features the uh, original cast of the controversial movie, <laughs> by, made by the uh, yeah the undesirable Matt Jacobs there. <laughs> of the controversial movie, including Paul McGann, Eric Roberts, Daphne Ashbrook. It's this funny and emotionally perilous documentary not only revisits a pivotal moment in Doctor Who history, but highlights the unity and creative freedom within the fandom as Matt Jacobs ultimately and unexpectedly finds himself part of a close-knit yet vast family of fans. Yeah, this is absolutely irresistible. As as we've spoken about, the the 60th anniversary is close at hand, Matt, and we're all hoping, I think, fingers crossed, fingers and toes crossed, come to think of it, we're all yeah. hoping that we may see Paul, <laughs> Paul back on screen again as the Doctor for however long, ideally a bit longer than six minutes this time. 
I wanted to ask you, you know, have you any desire as as a writer, as a director, even as an actor, to reconnect with Doctor Who in any of those ways? Is there no, another story under the surface somewhere? Would you ever be involved, want to be involved in something? Well, of course I would, you know. I mean, but the show has moved on and and there are people working on it now who, who are far more in touch with what the show is right now. I mean, I think... Of course, I would love to revisit the Eighth Doctor or get be involved in any which way because it really is a, a fabulous show. But nobody's knocking on my door, and I and I think after this documentary, they definitely won't be. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I like making, I like doing stuff that these days I tend to do stuff that I originate um, rather than picking up existing IPs. It's just the way it goes when you that but maybe that'll all change never say never never say never and i hope i hope paul comes back That'd be oh so god cool. we i asked him directly at britcon which is a seattle um convention that was a couple months ago and it was this moment and i said so are you gonna be you know involved in the 60th it was like i'd ask about his underwear or something i mean it was <laughs> it was it was like it's like a question that nobody should ask I think his his thing was um, they'd be wise to include me. <laughs> Word for that Good man. Yeah. Yeah. So of course. Very diplomatic. I'm hoping they'll include him more than they did in the fiftieth. You know, in some way, n if not in the show, but certainly in terms of all the ancillary stuff that's going on um, connected with the Doctor next year. It seems certainly like there's more popularity around him. Would you say that's? True. Oh. I mean, oh, I feel yes. like a lot more yeah, people definitely. are excited about him, and I, I, I feels like it's much more of a possibility that he'll be coming. This morning, Radio Times announced that they're making this a um, an Eighth Doctor Month. There's just a series of oh. articles about yeah. Paul McGann, and because we've had there's a great journalist Sab Astley, and he he. Uh, just uh, wanted to cover the the documentary, and he's interviewed you know Paul, Eric, um, Phil Siegel, myself, um, Vanessa, you know, and uh, and some other people as well. And so the Radio Times are running an exclusive thing on on the TV movie and the documentary all this month. There'll be a series of articles. I think with Paul. It I don't know if you agree with me, Sarah, but I think he seems to get more and more popular with every passing year, doesn't he? Not just his take on the Doctor, but him as a man as well, the more we hear him speak. Well, that is, uh, he gets more handsome every year as well. <laughs> so, that's really irritating as well, isn't it, Paul? What's going on if there? Because we, we know you're listening, Paul. He's got a portrait somewhere. Turn it down. Honestly, he's, he's such a rarity because, you know, not, not every dire doctoral fan is, is into big finish you know so that's and again that's its own subculture yeah that's yeah. how you live the longest he's only had those two screen appearances so yeah we're absolutely desperate to have him back on our screens and you know there's definitely more that can be uncovered i mean i mean i, I mean i love the big finish stuff he does but to see him back on screen just for any time yeah it's it's about time bounding back onto screen this is what we demand and are brimming with the energy in the same maybe way that you, you are, Matt. <laughs> maybe that's the thing that our documentary will do. It sort of... Yeah. Bring, bring Paul bring, back. Bring, yeah. bring Paul back. Maybe that's what the upshot. You know, forget about 
a greater understanding of culture. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, maybe what 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 uh, what this thing will do is is we'll we'll end up with more of the Eighth Doctor. <laughs> Whatever your own personal wishes for the film are, and and that of Kaleidoscope, we hope that it does reach all the potential that you could ever want for the film. Matthew Jacobs, Vanessa, your very best of luck with Doctor Who. Am I? And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Dan, Sarah, thank you so much. It's been great. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalised you there. Or should I say that Kevin has? Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> but we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and there you'll find a store full of all the team colours for all of the shows on everything from T-shirts to phone cases and enormous tapestries. I know. Treat yourself. Treat your other selves. And it all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain. So everybody wins. Yes, the uh, the brilliant clock has, has stopped. We're still here, Sarah. I'll tell you what, we get used, don't we, as people who, who watch a lot of telly and movies and all that kind of thing. We get used to seeing names on credits, don't we? And to seeing names on the spines of books and whatever other collectibles and things that we may have. But it's lovely to not just put faces to the names but in the case of our talk with matt and vanessa we, we can put the personalities to the names too yeah and it it makes such a difference eh? you know we've already discussed how doctor was personal to all of us but you know and everyone who's involved in doctor who in some way it, it is just part of being a fan there's a reason why we show such loyalty to 
you know, other actors, like, you know, watching Matt Smith in The Crown and House of the Dragon, and we follow, you <laughs> yes. know, Jenna Coleman, and, yeah, you, you get those connections, and yeah, but to have it, you know, not just on screen, but off the screen, the people that have put this together, and people that maybe didn't consider themselves fans, you know, as we've just seen, became fans in this process, and that's always good, you've got that feeling of, one of us, <laughs> you will yes. be like us. I don't want to say that it means more to you than to me because I, you know, I don't think that's fair. But I no, think it means different things to us all. I think. But the fact that you know, you've suffered through those wilderness years and to have <laughs> that hope of, you know, you did, you poor fans, you know, you did trudge there. It wasn't trudge. Even have the hope that it was going to come back in any kind of capacity, and for that brief year. After all the build up and all the rumours, you know, I can't imagine, I can't, really can't imagine what it was like. For me, it's uh, completely different, but no less, no less powerful. And to find out, you know, how Matt felt like he was being perceived, you know, that he felt like there was this backlash and he felt unable to attend these conventions and, you know, had this real dread. Um, it, did, it did really shock me. Um, to feel like you do feel unwelcome and that to find out that he discovered he is part of this doctoral family and you know the people do love him the respect to you know what he did and what he tried to do and I'm just so glad that Vanessa found this story in it and wanted to share it with us and I can't think of anything better than to have a show about fandom on the fandom podcast network because basically that's what we're about it's like the perfect Absolutely. vehicle for it and again it just shows how genuinely tolerant and welcoming the you know the true doctor family is and you know after all this negativity and this divisiveness over the past few years on social media and you know in different groups and then to just see to see like this one person and it's kind of like the prodigal son isn't it in a way <laughs> the prodigal son of very Dr. very much so or maybe the prodigal father because yeah. i think one of the things that i liked most about it was seeing a a certain degree a fatherly pride yeah. on Matt's face when he talked about the Eighth Doctor. Yeah, there definitely was. And, you know, for all the criticisms levelled at him, he had a vision that he thought was right and it was greenlit. And, you know, if it wasn't for him, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have had Paul McGann as the Doctor. We wouldn't have had an Eighth Doctor. And, it, you know, who knows what where it had gone. We know it might have not gone any further than eight. And... You know, Paul McGann kind of owes his career as the Eighth Doctor to Matt and his team and everybody who was involved in bringing this project, you know, because they, they sowed the seeds. I mean, we spoke about it being like an acorn. Um, you know, everything about the Eighth Doctor and his success and Big Finish and why he is, for some people, he is their favourite Doctor, even, you know, despite this short screen time. I think he should be very proud of that. Matt's grasp on the um, character and that, it, that he was able to communicate yeah. it in such a short period of screen time as well. As you say, we know several people who count the Eighth Doctor as their favourite. Just after nine, you know, 90 minutes, it, it's, it is a big ask. Even the questionable aspects of it, it, it was a turning point for Doctor Who, whether you agreed with it or not. That was the way, and I know that really resonated with Russell T Davies, for example. I mean, it was, he could see the seeds of, well, this is what we need to do to make Doctor Who modern, to get modern. You know, he was responding. I mean, the things with Grace, you know, didn't bother me as such because I'd, you know, I'd not experienced classical at that point, the Rose love story. That wouldn't have come about if Matt had opened the door. I mean, you know, whether you agree with it or not, it, 
it resonated with modern viewers. It was kept them coming back. You know, Rose is considered one of the best companions of the the new era, and you can you could see you could see how much Russell T Davis and the other writers of that first series, that brilliant series one, came from directions that were in this. And I just think it's far from a flop. I think it has become kind of like a cornerstone of Doctor Who, in my opinion. I, no, I I would agree, and I think it also stands. As uh, as a ninety minute sort of lesson in how to be brave with an intellectual property, how to push things on, how to how to rattle cages without necessarily sort of bending bars out of shape, mm-hmm. and okay, you can't please all of the people all of the time. I think it's probably foolish to even attempt to do that. But as regards setting out down a path which could have pleased a lot of people in the long term, it's a it's a strong start. I'll never look at the TV movie in quite the same light again since I've spoken to, to Matt and, and seen a little of his, of his personality and understood mm-hmm. of the component part that it played in his career in this whole creative journey. You can see he's a very, very creative man with this, mm-hmm. with this, great, this great zest for life and clearly lots of ideas, lots of energy. And underneath it all as well, still a fan of, of the same silly old TV show that we are and of that character that magical character that he would have seen as a as a boy and and has got to shape in no small part in a way that that's helped it achieve the longevity that it has now 26 years on i can't wait to see the full film i found the trailer genuinely moving yes and uh, and yeah having spent that time with vanessa and matt together knowing that it's going to be a very personal journey uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to find out more about them and, and more about myself too. I, I think from hearing Matt speak about it in particular, obviously it's partly autobiographical, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You do wonder what will it reveal to me about my fandom for this show that I've been watching since since I was a little kid. What could spring from this? Who out there, which filmmakers out there, which other fans could be tempted, inspired by this documentary to tell similar stories? I think that's a, a great gift, very, very generous for a, a project that's going to be seen by so many people to be so personal at the same time. And I know you, you plan on making a screening. I've, I found out there's some screenings near me to oh, try brilliant. and get along. Yeah. But yeah, that is the old girl starting up and calling time on another edition of Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast. I'll be back with another soon. Look out for that. Wherever you found this, it could have been on the dedicated home feed for Type 40 at type40.podbean.com or maybe across any major podcatcher we're on them all by now. So if you go over to type40.podbean.com, obviously you get every episode of Type 40 Doctor Who podcast and you get audio editions of our live streamed magazine format show Type 40 Live 2. So that's all coming up there on the feed. And of course, we're still on the Fandom Podcast Network's own master feed over there with all those other shows I think it's on the daily now a great podcast from somewhere in the pop culture universe but yeah send us all your feedback of course let us know in the comment section or over on our social media you can send us your your reviews from those screenings can't they sarah oh, yeah, you're gonna see okay. doctor who am i let us know what you think of it all have some questions to put to Matt and Vanessa after the fact we could reach out to American Anorak and maybe we can get them back on the oh, show. Oh yeah, we'd love to get them back on, yeah, once it's it's been released and we see out, you know, what the re- 
reaction is. So reach out to us through our social media, Instagram and Twitter, at Type40DoctorWho. Or you can email us, Type40DoctorWho, at gmail.com. If you're feeling really brave and fancy some <laughs> real-time extra-dimensional chit-chat, well, you can head over to the Type 40 Facebook group. Over there on Facebook, just type Type 40 into the search field at the top and you'll find us pretty damn quick. You can find generations upon regenerations of Doctor Who fans there and half-humans are more than welcome, Sarah. (laughs) Sarah, where can people connect with you on social media? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Starry-Eyed Who. Come and have a chat. (laughs) And yeah, you can connect with me on social media as the Spacebook, where I'm talking about all things geeky, inside and outside of the TARDIS, whatever catches my mind, my imagination, or both in movies, TV, comic books. And now and again, I even talk about real life. I do have a real life. <laughs> People we find do. that difficult to believe. It's hard to believe, but we I do. do. It's, it's all over there. So please, yeah, come and find me on social media there. Okay, that wraps us up for another show. Uh, once again... Thanks to you, Sarah, for for being here. It's been a blast as always. Our thanks to Vanessa and Matt. Best of luck with the film. Thank you for having me, as always. It's been brilliant. And as always, thanks to you for listening. We always have the time, if you have the space, here at Type 40. That's it for this time. You take care. We'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.